0: State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Jeremiah O'Shan, SB Nation soccer editor and blog manager, about what sports journalism is like in the United States. Let's begin. Welcome, Jeremiah. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I am good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. Awesome.
1: How's the week in MLS, how's everything in MLS going this week?
0: So we just had, we have a playoff system here, as you may know, and we just started the playoffs and there were some interesting games for sure. We had a couple big blowouts and then a couple matches that went to overtime actually were scoreless going into overtime. Lots of interesting storylines going on in MLS right now.
1: I believe you're a Seattle fan. I'm, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot the team name at the moment. But I read that you the
0: Sounders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in Seattle, and I and I root for the Sounders. Awesome. How
1: are they? Are they on the top of the leaderboard, or where are they sitting at the moment?
0: Yeah. So they were finished second in their conference. So meaning they didn't have to play in this round that we just finished, and they're now going to be playing one of their big rivals in the next round. Cool. Well, fingers crossed. Yes. Fingers for
1: Seattle. Awesome. So. Luck with every, with the podcast. The, if you can just uh, start off with your background and just a bit about espionage, just so we can introduce you to the audience, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, so I got my start in media. You know, I took a pretty traditional path to getting into media. I went to journalism school in college. I worked in newspapers for about 10 years in sports sections and news sections. I was a beat reporter for a while, I was a columnist for a while, I was a sports editor for a while. I was a copy editor and then I was like a front page designer. So I did a lot of things in the newsroom. And then I moved to Seattle. I quit my newspaper job and basically just started from the bottom in terms of the digital media world. The timing ended up being very fortuitous when I did that. But I started writing for the local Sounders blog. And then I kind of worked my way up the chain at SB Nation. And I'm now, I'm actually in charge of all the, I oversee all of our soccer blogs. We have about 60 soccer blogs that cover teams all over the world. And
1: is that soccer blog's individual contributors that just write about
0: specific, like
1: the specific leagues around the world or?
0: Uh, so most of them, the vast majority of them are are team specific. So, you know, like we'll have, we have an Arsenal blog. We have a, like all the big club, almost all the big clubs in the world. We have a blog that covers them specifically. And there's one manager in charge, and then the manager usually has a few, you know, like either assistant editors or writers or whatever. They have a staff that is a combination of paid and unpaid people.
1: And are those blogs? Do they look like more like the columns, or are they just actual? Do they actually look like blogs on, like a word, like a site blog, like how usually?
0: Like they, they're self-sufficient. They're standalone blogs. So if you. Go to, for instance, the Busby Babe is our Manchester United blog and, you know, they'll have everything from news of the day to columns to whatever else. So it's it's a pretty inclusive kind of holistic site. The idea being that you could follow one of these blogs and that's really all you need to do. Awesome. I'd
1: I'd definitely like to go down into detail about how you manage that on a day-to-day basis. But can you also, for those who don't know, maybe potentially, especially for those outside of the US. What SB Nation is about, and you know what the value proposition is, or what the core focus of SB Nation is.
0: Yeah, so SB Nation is part of a, a larger digital media company called Vox Media. Vox Media has properties that cover all sorts of different verticals, as we call them. Like we have a, a food vertical, we have a real estate vertical, we have a news vertical, we have a tech vertical, and SB Nation is the sports vertical. And then so within. ESPN. there's two main kind of silos, for lack of a better term. There's what we call .com, which is more of a, it's a standalone website that kind of covers the whole sports world. So you'll see things, everything from tennis to baseball, to the NFL, to soccer, you know, you might see any random number of things. Then in this, a separate silo, we have the team sites, which I'm part of. And those we have sites that cover most of the big American sports, NFL, NBA, NHL, college, and then we have like a combat group of combat sites that cover like MMA and those kinds of things. And then we have soccer. And so the kind of the value proposition of S B Nation is that we kinda of speak from a fan perspective with a fan voice. You know, there are certainly professional journalists that Have training, like professional journalism training, like myself. But there's a lot of people that don't have that kind of background and they're coming at it purely from a fan perspective. You know, kind of the idea being that people that are passionate about the subject that they're covering, essentially, that they're not just doing it for a paycheck, that they're doing it because they actually have an interest in reading about the thing that they're covering.
1: I'm sure that a lot of those people as well, they have. This criteria for them to contribute as well. Like you wouldn't just have anyone publish their perspective of the sport. So.
0: Right. So the managers of each of the so com runs like a traditional website where it's all you know. There's editors and everything is approved and and there's assignments and all those kind of things. And at the blog level, it's not quite as formalized. There's a little bit more of an ad hoc system, but it's not a totally open system either. So the managers basically work as a gateway. So they find people that they think are interesting and they publish them. But presumably that stuff is all being has some basic level of editing on it. And, you know, the topics are approved. It's not just totally random people firing off their opinions. There is some kind of vetting process that it goes through
1: definitely that that makes sense that totally makes sense i guess more to the aspect on the mls side because from what i've seen as well on on your online profile you you also cover mls league i guess from an outsider perspective i know from what i've read as well i know that a lot of the older players that come from you know the europe uh like premier league or the other leagues they they usually come to the mls because you know they get paid well and, and stuff like that and it's a fairly new league mm-hmm. are you able just to provide a bit of background about the history of mls where it's up to and and how journalism has sort of played a role in in profiling the game to date
0: yeah so mls is one of the younger leagues in the world i know the premier league is only 20 odd years old but it was preceded obviously by the first division which was you know not that different than the premier league well mls started in 1996 was the first season and there really was nothing that it was replaced i mean it was essentially filling a a first division vacuum you may have heard of the nas the the original nasl that essentially collapsed in the early 80s and then between the collapse of the nasl and the start of the mls there was about 12 years And there were soccer leagues in the United States, but there was nothing that you would think of as a first division soccer league. It was, you know, regional, mostly like regional leagues. There were some, you know, kind of lower division leagues that were run kind of on a shoestring. And so when MLS came in in 1996, it was kind of the return of first division soccer in the United States. And the United States has has never really been a, what's the right way to put this? A sophisticated soccer nation. You know, there's always been, Soccer being played here. Soccer has a pretty old history in the United States. You know, you can go back 150 years to the first, you know, as old as any. There's been organized soccer leagues here, but it's never been on the scale of what we see in other countries. At least it hasn't been on the scale of what we see in other countries in the last 50 or 60 years. And so MLS kind of came in and and they had to do a lot of educating. They had to reach out to a lot of fans that weren't necessarily soccer fans. When the World Cup was here in 1994, there was a lot of things like explaining what offside was and basic level soccer kind of knowledge. You know, there was a growth period for sure. And those first 10 years, I would say MLS was very much finding its footing, trying to figure out what it wanted to be. And that was kind of right around the same time that David Beckham came to MLS. Obviously, that was a big money signing. And that kind of that was a whole new era of MLS where these kind of famous players from Europe would come here oftentimes at the towards the end of their careers. And we're still seeing a degree of that. There are definitely you know like Kaká was playing here, David Villa is still one of the best players in the league. You know, you can go through Bastian Schweinsteiger is playing in Chicago. You know, there's a whole host of, of legitimately world-famous soccer players that are here that are playing at a reasonably high level but probably would not be playing at a high level if they're in europe but frankly most of the players that mls is signing now are are still in a prime soccer age prime football age and you know it's, it's become a pretty competitive league you you have young players from south america that are on their national teams that are here so it's been it's an interesting combination of players it's a fun league it definitely is different than than european football in that the way that the league is structured is different but it's not like you're watching a foreign product anymore if you if you turn into mls mls is broadcast all over the world now via various cable networks and if you watch an mls game it won't look that different than any other nations
1: so so you see i think broadcasting has been a big role in in trying to profile the game like how about in terms of journalism and covering the data like the match-to-match sort of Games, how, how does that sort of impact the profile of MLS? Has that been positive, or you know, how do you see, see that shape the game?
0: MLS is not quite at the mainstream level where you have, oh, like for instance, Seattle is one of the better covered teams in the league, and there's probably two or three like mainstream publications that have basically like real beach beat writers where they like travel with the team. And, or actually, there's only I think there's only one newspaper that actually travels with the team now, and otherwise it's a lot of digital media people like myself that cover the team. So there's a robust group of people that are covering them, but they aren't necessarily from traditional news media. You know, like for the most part, TV TV doesn't necessarily treat it like in the same way that they would treat the NFL. If it's on the local news, they don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of the league. So it's an interesting landscape because, on one hand, people in digital media like myself are able to get a lot of access that you wouldn't be able to get in Europe, but on the other hand, the coverage is not as ubiquitous as it is in other places.
1: Right, so I guess even though you've got that access, like you can pretty much approach any player and ask their background and profile, because there's not much of reach or much an audience, as a bigger audience as other sports. Yeah, I guess there's no, it's not going to be as, as far reaching.
0: Right. You know, I would say that I know most of the players on the Sounders, like they would recognize me and I'm not necessarily there every day. And we get a level of access that you aren't going to get in, in Europe. And, and it's also the, one of the other things that's kind of funny about the way MLS is, is that it, it kind of follows the like in North American sports, we have much more access to players than than you do in Europe. For instance, like the post game, they usually open up the locker room and we actually go into the locker room. And granted, most of the players have filtered out by the time they allow us in, but we get a level of access that you just aren't going to get in most of the world, which is, you know, has its pluses and minuses.
1: I think, yeah, there's a, I guess there's a balance there, but yeah, it's interesting to hear. It's a bit the same like Australia as well, like usually, but it's more controlled in that only selected whoever's licensed to cover our sports only able to really get that inside scoop or the... Um, our post game match yeah so it's interesting to hear how it is in North America in terms of like more of your day to day with the covering the the blogs uh, managing the blogs and just in the sports yeah. so managing the blogs in general I guess how have you Come to that point where you have so many of those blogs, and what's been the driver behind
0: that? Well, the driver behind it's pretty straightforward. There's a lot of clubs around the world that have big audiences, and we've kind of allowed it to be a somewhat, actually, I would say a very organic process, at least outside of MLS, where we've made a concerted effort to have every MLS team covered. The teams that we have covered were basically where demand led us. And if, you know, early on in the growth process, we had people that would approach us and they'd pitch us the idea of starting a blog on team X. And for the most part, we just went with it. You know, over time we've shuttered a few blogs. Like at one point we had a Wigan blog. We had a Nottingham forest blog. You know, we've had a a few blogs like of clubs that are a little smaller around the world, but for the most part, it's, we've kind of let the audience lead us where, you know, if there was someone that was really interested and passionate about doing something, we did that. Now, in the last few years, we've been in less of a growth, a growth phase, and we've been more focusing on trying to make the blogs that we have as good as that we can make them, as opposed to you know just covering every team in the world. I mean, at one point, our attitude was like, if we have 150 soccer blogs, great. But I think we realized that that was maybe more effort than it was worth.
1: Definitely, it does make it harder. How about for those like who want to start getting into sports journalism, particularly in digital media? How's the path, especially in North America, how's the path that people usually take? Because I know it was interesting to hear that, you know, you said that even though they had the newspaper background, you had to start again from scratch. I guess two questions. Why did you have to start from scratch? And secondly, how do people currently progress in sports journalism in North America?
0: Yeah, so it's become a very kind of, I don't want to say haphazard. There is no one way to get involved in media now. You know, on one hand, there's a lot of different paths which is exciting. But on the other hand, there's not really a tried and true path, which is kind of scary. And so if you're trying to get involved in becoming like a media, part of the North American media, there's a million different ways to get involved. If you don't have any experience, I would say probably the best way to do it is to find something that you're passionate about and find an outlet where you can kind of share that passion and basically start from there and see where it goes. If you have a bit more experience, you know, there are, freelance jobs out there but if you haven't worked full-time like if you've never treated covering soccer for instance as a full-time profession it's going to be really hard to break in as a full-time soccer writer in this country i don't know it's it really depends i'd say that there's a million different ways to get in and like i said that's both good and bad
1: What have you seen like what have you seen the most obvious path, or what what have you seen the the most common path that people have taken?
0: Oh, I mean, I I don't even know that there is a most common. I mean, I would say my path is my own. No, I don't know there is, it, but I guess based
1: on what you've seen, whether, like based on because you're managing a team, you are a position where where you know you're managing people, and I guess you know your team very well in terms of also.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's great. You no know, keeping in mind that no one that works for me is full time. Everyone that works for me basically started out writing for a team specific blog and then basically showed that they were capable and responsible people and they worked their way up to a point where they were you know maybe managing a site or at least in a paid position and you know some of those people started off as paid but it's i would say most of the people that i deal with are they were passionate about something and they just wanted to follow their passion and they were willing to do it i mean frankly they were willing to do it for very little money and that's how they kind of got their foot in the door.
1: Back to the point of, of you having to start from scratch in digital media, if you feel comfortable or if you are open. But why did you have to start from the scratch, even though you had that experience?
0: Well, I hadn't really done anything in soccer media, yeah. and I didn't really have any experience in digital media. And, you know, I got my start in, I moved into digital media in 2009. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of, full-time digital media positions out there, frankly. And it was a time when the economy was really bad and there wasn't really anyone hiring. And so, you know, I didn't have expertise in any one area. And I think the thing about digital media is that it's all about expertise. It's all about having a, a focus and having, you know, there's just not, you know, when I got started in journalism, there was kind of this idea that you would basically learn on the job and that you would As long as you had a basic platform, you could kind of learn about anything you needed to cover. And you were kind of talking to this lowest common denominator of people who didn't necessarily need expertise on everything. And that's just not the way it is anymore. I mean, digital media has become so specialized. And if you want to write about soccer, you better have a background writing about soccer. And if you don't have a background writing about soccer, you're going to have a really hard time all of a sudden going into that space certainly as a full-time kind of paid writer and so i I would say that's just kind of the the nature of the business right now is that uh specialization is absolutely the key
1: do you think that because i've noticed as well that especially in australia as well that a lot of ex-players become commentators or become digital media folk do you think that gives them an advantage because they're very specialized or can you just even like you said suffer? from From the beginning in terms of blogging, covering the team.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that having a name and having a a background always is helpful. Like, it's just, it can never be anything but useful to to have a background and to have a name and to, you know, to be in that space. But that said, you know, in terms of digital media, there's not a ton of former players. Like, most of the former players that are in the media here are TV commentators. There are... Some exceptions to that, you know, there's a guy named Bobby Warsaw who's kind of becoming a, a pretty well known writer who was a player here for a long time. But for the most part, uh, ex players and ex coaches get into the TV side, and people like myself don't really get into the TV side. So it's that's kind of th- that separation.
1: I understand? I think yeah, that's interesting to you. You mentioned earlier about having the access to those players, getting the coverage. How do you find? you know, the local community being able to, because you have that access and you're trying to cover the, the local team, how do you find the local community responding to the journalism and, and digital media efforts with ESPNation?
0: At least in Seattle, people have been really welcoming and they kind of like what we provide. And I would say that the stuff I write about the Sounders is basically treated like mainstream media essentially but in a lot of markets it's a little bit more uh hit and miss it's just kind of a hard balance and i, I would say it depends from market to market
1: sorry i guess it comes from the fact that mns has to compete with other sports because there's already like three or four main sports in the country that a lot of people majority of people already tuned in and religiously follow i guess if, if for a better word but yeah so did you find out that like states the different states like they have more skewed just due to the emphasis of the main sports that they're following in the states
0: yeah i mean i would say that's probably a big part of it that it is somewhat about their allegiances are already kind of stretched thin like they're already you know seattle seahawks fan and the seahawks season overlaps pretty significantly or doesn't a whole lot but like all like there's always a sport that's conflicting with soccer here and there's always a bigger sport that's competing with soccer here so you are kind of competing for hearts and minds not just for among soccer teams but among other sports which poses its own kind of challenges
1: how do you think the other sports are able to capture the the audience and get able to get their support like what comes down to it
0: i mean i would say the biggest thing is just that they have a big head start most of these teams have been around much longer than soccer has here and they've just been doing it longer and so by the time soccer came around their allegiances were already set and like like i said mls is only about 20 years old and so you're competing with leagues that were you know 20 years ago they were fully matured nationally recognized leagues and beyond that major league baseball is the best baseball players in the world nfl is the best football players in the world nhl is the best hockey players in the world nba is the best basketball players in the world. MLS is not by any stretch the best soccer players in the world. And so people in the United States are used to watching the absolute best athletes in their sport and MLS isn't that. And then so you you know we're not only competing MLS isn't only competing with with other sports, but they're also competing with the Premier League which you can find as much, you can probably e- more easily watch the Premier League in the United States than you can MLS, at least in terms of like how many games are available on TV. You know, Similarly, the Spanish League is is basically ubiquitous. The German League is basically ubiquitous. Italian soccer is a little harder to find. So MLS is competing with the best leagues in the world for the same people.
1: How do you think MLS is a brand is trying to tackle that issue and trying to grow their audience? yeah.
0: Yeah. So, like, their kind of value play essentially is that this is where you can watch soccer in person. This is where you can, you know, have you can root for your hometown team. This, if you're a soccer fan in Seattle, you should be rooting for the Sounders because you know you get this great experience. Now, are the Sounders playing at the level of Tottenham Hotspur? No, they're clearly not. But you can actually go to a game, you can actually meet the players, you can actually, you know, have like a connection with the team and the players that you're not going to be able to have by rooting for a, t- a club overseas.
1: How do you find that? How long has that been the sort of the positioning? And how long and how do you, have you seen that the response being from that positioning from the local community? I guess I know you said it's going to be various depending on the states, but yeah, just in general, if you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say like, in, so in Seattle, they've been able to success. You know, they came out of the gates pretty fast. You know, the Seattle team went into MLS in 2009, and right out of the, the gates, they were drawing 30000 a game, which is obviously a great, a great crowd. And so there was a level of relevance here that there hasn't been in most cities. And that's slowly starting to change. You know, like this year, we saw Atlanta just – it was their first year in MLS and they went from having virtually no soccer history to drawing 70,000 people to games and drawing like 45,000 basically on a random Wednesday night. So we're seeing it change, but like in Seattle, I think that they've done a good job of putting out a good product of making it feel like a major league sport and just generally, you know, kind of engaging in a way that makes it accessible at the same time
1: understand. Do you find that like, for example, like Seattle and those areas which are doing very well, they have the history of people who watch other Premier Leagues and because they're looking for that local team, I guess. Is that, can you say that they have that, because they have that association and and then there's a local team, which is, you know, strong and very good, then they're more likely to support that team? Do you know what I mean? I
0: mean? Seattle has a pretty international population. Back in the old NASL days, there was a pretty strong following for the Sounders of the NASL as well. It's a nice balance because there's enough of an immigrant background here that they have this natural connection to soccer, but it's not such a new immigrant background that they are still, or their primary allegiances are, are to a team that's somewhere else. And so it's kind of the right balance, which is you know, you don't have in every – which you don't have everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that if you can create an atmosphere in your local market that feels like a big deal, even if it's not at that same quality, I think a lot of people are willing to give it a chance.
1: That makes sense. How is MLS trying to grow their audiences? Like, have they? Sorry, I haven't followed it as much. What's the plan of it? Like, how are they trying to grow their audience? Do they have, like, their own media property where they're trying to grow – have news as well and cover – uh, everything also they
0: do they have a editorial arm essentially that does a lot of their first-hand reporting so there's a website mlssoccer.com yeah. that is at least hypothetically somewhat independent of the league office and they have an editorial you know voice that isn't you know it's not 100% independent but it is have they'll, they'll do straight reporting for the most part and then beyond the league generated. Content, you know, they have partnerships with the most of the big like Fox Sports and ESPN, which are the two main cable sports networks here. So they're on national TV a fair amount. Other than that, they do a lot of kind of outreach to people like myself, just trying to get us to like trying to make themselves accessible and kind of try to get coverage through access essentially.
1: So, do they outreach explanation and say, you know, we've got an exclusive piece around this player and stuff like that? And then you guys would be the first person to cover it or how would that be? What kind of example was that? Does the partnerships and syndication, what can you
0: Like it's not, nothing quite that overt where, you know, like I don't know that they've given us an like a big exclusive on a platter like that. Although I'm sure that they do stuff like that with even with bigger media properties, SB Nation isn't necessarily getting those big exclusives, but they, you know, if we want one-on-one access, they'll usually give it to us. And they're just, you know, I think mostly what they do is they, give us access to things that we want. For example. So like if I want to interview, like for instance, I have a podcast and I wanted to interview the GM of the Sounders, the head of the front office at the Sounders. And they were able to, you know, get me 45 minutes with them. And I sat down in his office and we chatted for 45 minutes. And if I'm covering the NFL, I probably don't have that opportunity to cover the, you know, to sit down with 45 minutes with the GM of the Seattle Seahawks.
1: understand Besides that, interviews, could you provide some other examples to the SDP audience around the other types of content that you'd publish as a sports journalist?
0: So we, you know, we'll go out to games, and so we have press credentials, and we'll do first-hand reporting from games, we'll go out to training sessions, do first-hand reporting from training sessions, like basically really anything that a mainstream journalist would do, we have the same kind of access to be able to do.
1: So even like match recaps, interviews, yeah. the first-hand journalism. Is there any like campaign-specific like content pieces that you guys would run, or is there any campaign-specific initiatives that you guys run around a specific team or player or theme? I guess for example, let's say there's been news around a specific player that has been succeeding recently. It's been a rising star. Around that, would you do like a content marketing campaign or something which would maybe chronicalized his history to how we got there and just promote that player as well because he's been a popular search increasingly trending player search player is that something that you can do as well?
0: that's something that we could do I don't know that that's something that we have done certainly we've never done anything like that that's like a paid promotion but you know that's the kind of access that if we want to get we can we can usually get
1: I understand okay because uh, like in Australia soccers used at a time for football which is used for other countries how do you think that's impacted the sports ability in actually getting more cover ground in america do you think that people should be start referencing soccer as football in america or would you see any implications in, in that or
0: no i mean i think that it's kind of a pretentious discussion to be frank like it's whatever we call it soccer football i think it's usually pretty context specific and i usually when i talk about MLS, I talk about, I use soccer as the term, but when I talk about European football, I'll use football as the term. And I don't find that the, I think you'll find fans of European football say things like it's called football, and for the most part, we'll kind of just laugh it off because it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, like, honestly, it's just, I, I find it a completely pretentious and ridiculous, like, conversation to have in earnest. I think that there's a time, and I think, I'll put it this way, if, Major League Soccer changed the name to Major League Football, and they made an effort to start calling soccer football. I don't think it would have any kind. Of, I think it would have probably a negative impact on the way Americans perceive it because at this point, I think Americans for the most part have accepted you know that we call football soccer and that we call football football, unless it's you know outside of content, you know outside of specific discussions. It just doesn't really serve anyone's purpose to like kind of get into, you know, like you'll find people that insist on calling football hand egg or gridiron or whatever it might be. And it's like fine in those particular contexts, but I don't think that like a national campaign to change the name to football from soccer would have any kind of impact or positive impact. That said, most of our teams are technically you know, Seattle Sounders Football Club, Vancouver Whitecaps Football Club, Toronto Football Club. But for the most part, they don't use the, they, like, they use FC, but they don't, like, formally call them football clubs.
1: Yeah, that thing itself is a very lengthy discussion or debate that you can have, because I also, like, heard people, like, saying, you know, because it's historically football, we should return back to that, but... Again, I'm going to stay neutral for this conversation, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long conversation you can have about like this.
0: In countries where there is a more established football, I think it makes perfect sense to call it soccer or to call it whatever you want. I mean, the fact that in Spanish-speaking countries, they call it football and not football, or in Brazil, they call it futebol and not football. Like, every country should be allowed to call it whatever it makes most sense to call it. I agree,
1: because at the end of the day, you're carrying it to a local audience, and that's what's going to help. Resound with a better team and grow from the grassroots level. I guess. Yeah, hundred percent. Jeremiah, I just wanted to finish off the podcast and our chat. Just in looking ahead in terms of what you see that some of the trends are in sports journalism, how you, things that you're looking ahead for Espionation and what you think MLS is looking ahead in in terms of trying to grow the game and trying to improve journalism, sports journalism overall.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I think one of the things that Espionation has been really effective at doing. And one of the things that I think that we're going to see a continued trend toward is not just specialization, but people that actually are passionate and they care about the subject that they're covering. I think the days of, you know, kind of journalists in their ivory towers basically talking about the thing that they cover as if they are themselves above it and they don't themselves have a particular interest in the outcome i think is something that is going to become less and less common and i think it's going to become less and less a part of mainstream publications and so my suspicion is that as we get farther and farther down this road that people that are passionate soccer fans are going to be the people that are covering soccer and the sport just doesn't need people who are covering the sport as basically a favor anymore in the united states specifically but i think even in countries where sports are part of the mainstream i think that you're going to see the same kind of thing where if you don't really like the sport that you're covering chances are you're going to be replaced by someone who does and so i think that that's probably the single biggest change that we're going to see going forward and I think that the and coverage is going to become more accessible. And that's just kind of the way of the world that it's harder and harder to put up barriers to reading coverage, whether that's paywalls or subscriptions or whatever. But my hope is that we can figure out a way to, to monetize all of this through, you know, like through subscription, like through kind of voluntary subscription models and things like that. How do you
1: think MLS is going to adapt to this community-driven approach, I guess? I
0: mean, I think MLS is kind of on the forefront of it. There's definitely a challenge. I think MLS is just going to have to continue to scale and to continue to... Like, right now, there's this whole situation going on where they're trying to move a team. And it will be interesting to see what kind of fallout there is. That Because I think a lot of people feel like that's kind of betraying one of MLS's core values, which is that the community is really who owns a team not necessarily an owner and i realize that's kind of the way it is in most of the world and you know it'll be interesting to see if mls how you know if mls kind of gets away from that how that affects the bottom line and i don't know what the answer is at this point
1: that's a good point to end on to keep people thinking and hopefully they'll come back and put some leave with some comments or which uh, ask you that question down the track. So thank you very much for your time, Jeremy. I really appreciate your insights and your rundown around SP Nation and sports journalism. Thank you very much. Oh, it was my pleasure. Awesome.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.